Welcome to the New Money Review podcast, the future of money in 30 minutes. I'm Paul Amory, the editor of New Money Review. We're a periodical covering the changes in money, which are getting faster and more confusing. New types of money arrive out of nowhere, like Bitcoin. Payments get faster and cheaper. Cash goes out of fashion and mobile payments take over. Some people are on the inside track, others risk being left behind. Money attracts the cleverest criminals who always seem to stay ahead of the game. Our podcast takes a big picture look at these trends. It's not just money that's changing, but technology, finance, law, government and society with it. Each week we interview a leading expert on one or more of these topics. By listening to the podcast, you can stay up to date with what's going on in money and prepare yourself for what lies ahead. My guest on this episode of the podcast is Diana Finch, who is Managing Director at Bristol Pound, a local currency initiative in Bristol, the city in the west of England. Diana, welcome to the New Money Review podcast. Could you please start by telling listeners a little bit about yourself and your area of work? Yeah, sure. Hi. So I'm Diana Finch. Uh, I work for Bristol Pound. I've been working there since the middle of 2018. My background really is, I guess you could say it's in two parts. Uh, Partly it's been about uh, non-profit management, so managing charities um, in in both social care and environmental uh, areas, and in um, finance and um, accounting systems, uh, in both charity and non-charity settings. Could you tell me a little bit about Bristol Pound? You know what it is and what the um, you know what the reasons for setting it up were. The ideas for Bristol Pound really started developing in about 2009, and it was one of a number of uh, local currencies that were called town pounds that came out of the transition network. And the aim really was to localize trade. Um, so you can think of it like a shop local scheme, but with some extra stuff. So um, you could buy, in effect, vouchers, Bristol Pounds, uh, that you could spend at local shops and businesses. And those local shops and businesses would then spend them on with other local businesses. So it was ensuring that that money stayed circulating within local uh, independent businesses. And that would do a few things. Uh, One, it would hopefully increase um, how much value each pound spent in the city brought to the city. Because when you spend a pound in a in a big um, uh, national or international um, store, then a lot of that money immediately leaves the city. A little bit stays there, you know, the staff that served you in the shop or whatever. But most of the rest of the money disappears to a global supply chain, um, a global executive that are running the operation. So it keeps that money trapped in Bristol and circulating amongst local businesses who are then going to hopefully have increased profits and an ability to invest in the organic growth of business in the city. So they're going to be creating jobs for local people. Um, So that was the basic idea. It would also be cutting, hopefully, uh, carbon dioxide from transportation because goods and people would be travelling less far to have their needs met. Um, So that was the basic idea. It wasn't just uh, paper money. We had digital money right from the start. So you could, uh, instead of buying physical paper pounds, you could top up your Bristol Pound digital account. You could use your mobile phone. Uh, through text to pay initially and later an app 
to pay for goods and services across the city. Uh, and then those businesses could again pay using their digital um, their digital uh, Bristol Pound account. So that started, the actual currency started in, in 2012. It took, you know, it took a few years to actually get it off the ground. And it grew, it grew very quickly to be the largest local currency in the UK, which is fantastic. And, and we had it really, a, you know, not just um, a great following locally, but, but around the world, we became um, very well known. Um, and we carried on growing like that, uh, really for a good three to four years. And then things started to plateau off a bit. And, and I guess the question then is, well, what went wrong? You know, if it was growing so brilliantly and it was all going so well, uh, you know, how come a corner was was turned? Um, and I guess I guess I would say there were three main things that that um, led to that. Um, one important one was our brand and how we marketed ourselves. Um, we spoke very much to people who already thought and understood the economic system as we did. Um, we, we were using words like um, local multiplier effect, kind of economic terms that perhaps only a few people really understood. Uh, and meanwhile, the idea of getting Bristol pounds and using them in a local shop was perhaps not very accessible to many people. You know, if I am living, frankly, on, on a minimum wage or benefits uh, in a poorer part of town, and you know what, it's just a struggle to get the kids fed and do the shopping and, you know, keep house. Um, frankly, do I have the the time, the money, you know, the resources generally to manage another bank account in effect, you manage another account and go and find specialist independent shops that probably charge a bit more than Tesco's or do I just go to Tesco's? It's one shop. I can get everything there. There's always, you know, two for one offers and cheap prices and uh, and it's food that I know how to prepare and cook. You know, it's oven ready this and, and you know, and I get the kids fed and do you know what? They eat that stuff. They eat chicken nuggets and chips. Whereas when I go to the um you know, local independent artisan deli or you know, actually one, the food is more expensive. Two, I don't really know how to prepare it. Three, my kids aren't going to eat it. You know, it was it was somehow quite exclusive, even though we had no intention of it being exclusive. That was how it, it turned out. Um, and a lot of the people that were using the Bristol Pound were people who were already shopping locally. So arguably, where we had promised those local traders were going to bring a load of new footfall to your stores, perhaps we didn't. Perhaps what we did was, um, you know, the same people came along to their stores, but they changed how they paid. Um, and whilst that still uh, created a pressure on businesses to then think about how they would respend that money, which was, I guess you could say, the main aim of the Bristol Pound, and it did very much. I've been looking at some data recently that um, a firm called GeoFutures put together for us, which which looked at you know the, the kind of the loops and the trading circles that were formed through Bristol Pound, and and it de did definitely help to create a level of complexity of um, you know trading between companies in Bristol. That was a, a great thing to do, um, but I guess. For, for businesses, that's still quite a difficult thing to do. So if you imagine when, when you're a business and you join Bristol Pound, 
you've probably got a supply chain already in place. And it's not easy just to go, you know, I've decided I'm not going to get my supplies from there anymore. I mean, it, it changes a bit from business to business. But let's say I'm a chocolate brownie maker. You know, my choice of where I get my cocoa has got almost nothing to do with how I pay for that and a lot to do with whether it's fair trade or organic or you know what it tastes like, what kind of cocoa beans it comes from. Uh, you know, that th- I may have a load of other things that are determining that. And, and it's important to me because guess what? If my brownies aren't the best brownies in town, uh, immediately my sales start to drop off. So, um, Diana, let me ask you a question at that point. Um, so you, you mentioned that Bristol Pound became you know, the, probably the best known of these local currency schemes in the UK. There, there are several others uh, that have, uh, some of which received quite a lot of um, uh, publicity at the time. But I think it's fair to say that none of them really achieved the necessary scale. And you've been explaining you know, some of the reasons why it was difficult to, 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 to grow the project beyond a certain stage. Now, as I, under, as I understand it, a couple of years ago, you've you know, made a decision to move in a in a different direction with with Bristol Pound uh, towards emphasising payments uh, technology, uh, could you explain a bit about you know yeah. what you know what what motivated you to move in that direction and and, and why? When I came on board in 2018, that was at the point where things were you know plateauing off and and there was concern, you know, how can we turn this around? So that was my job, if you like. Please, can you turn around the Bristol Pound and bring it back to its former glory and growth? But when I looked at those problems, you know, the problem of slight exclusivity, the problem of behavior change for businesses, um, I really started to think, hmm, I, I don't know that we should be trying to do this again. I, I think I had convinced myself that perhaps you know, we had run our course with that. And whilst it was a useful experiment, it wasn't the way forward for the future. Things had changed a lot in the interim. Um, maybe 10 years ago, um, a lot more transactions in the city took place using cash. Um, now it's much more dominated by electronic digital payments, whether using a phone or using a card. And as a result, the amount of money lost to Bristol in transaction charges has gone up hugely, even though the cost per transaction has arguably gone down by maybe a whole percentage point or, or more over the last decade. Um, and in fact, it's been estimated that about £60 million a year is lost to the Bristol economy just in transaction charges for for digital payments. And we start... And, and so, Diana, sorry to interrupt you. This, yeah. so these, uh, this, the, the £60 million that's disappearing from the local economy, these are the interchange fees being charged by the major card networks like Visa and MasterCard or, yeah, I mean, or the, those the, fees plus the, others? So that there are usually um, providers of a kind of payment terminal in a shop like iZettle or WorldPay. Um, they charge a percentage per transaction um, and then their own costs are largely to the Visa and MasterCard network that run, if you like, the rails that are used by all of that payment infrastructure. And to a certain extent, we've probably got as low as we can with those um, with the Visa and MasterCard charges, because um, one of the reasons Visa and MasterCard have to charge so much is the amount of fraud that happens on you know through their network. So they've always got to make good on that fraud. So probably those percentage costs per transaction using the current rails are about as low as they're going to get now. Uh, and if we're going to um, if we're going to try and save that money, 
we need to think of some other infrastructure for payments. Um, and one of the major things that has changed since 2010, when we first set up the Bristol Pound, is there is now a set of regulation called Electronic Money Institution Regulation, which enables um, you know, different technologies um, other than, than the Visa and MasterCard type approach. So what we started to think about is, could we use an EMI um, payment solution and we didn't know at first whether we were going to say we'll offer the cheapest um, payment solution in town or look, we'll match the current market rate. But what we'll say is that any of the money that, that we make over and above what we need to run the platform, we will ensure as a non-profit goes to um, fund uh, social and environmental charities and projects across the city. We actually tested that out with with um, you know some market testing um, last April, and what businesses told us is you no, know, we've we've kind of built in the one percent IZETL fee or whatever. You know that that's that's not going to really change things for us. But what would be different is if we could say to people, you no, know, please pay with with Bristol Pay because you know our you know the charges that that we pay are directly helping projects in Bristol. So that was the first value proposition, a, a proposition that we hadn't really had before. You know, I think as well, one of the problems with trying to communicate Bristol Pound was, you know, people would say, well, what's in it for me? Or why, why would I do this? And all we could say is some kind of weird economic mumbo jumbo about how it was going to be good for the local economy. Um, it wasn't very precise. Whereas now what we can say is, please use Bristol Pay, because, you know, all of the surpluses from just running the payment platform are directly helping to make Bristol a better place to, to live and So just so I understand how this uh, works, Diana, uh, so in the old days, if you had £100 sterling, you could, whether it was in, a, in banknotes or in a bank account, you could take your £100 sterling and change them one for one into Bristol pounds and then use those Bristol pounds with retailers or businesses that accepted them, whereas now you're not changing the currency unit as such, you're, you're just... Uh, adding a kind of payments um, technology on top of the existing money system. Exactly that. Um, okay. And um, yes, that, that's exactly that. I don't need to, to um, but it's not just that. So that's kind of stage one of the, of the idea behind Bristol Pay. Stage two is um, there are still a number of problems. And in fact, there are more problems than ever that, that we, we need to try and solve within our economic system. So with Bristol Pound, we were just looking at localization uh, and uh, and trying to you know, build up the, you know, the homegrown economy. Um, now what we're thinking is we could have far wider impact. Um, we should set our sights higher. So for example, we're in the middle of hopefully a just transition towards a zero carbon economy. We are having massive inequality. Um, and in fact, the poorest people are getting poorer. Uh, and that's being exacerbated by COVID-19, which is having a disproportionate effect on people that are already marginalised in the economic Diana, could I, could I uh, sorry to interrupt you again, I, could I just ask you some uh, a couple more questions about the, the, the nuts and bolts aspects of the of the new scheme, because I just want to understand how, how it works. So currently, I mean, in my in my case, I've got a. Now I'm also, I guess, most people in the UK paying much more, you know, using digital uh, means rather than 
cash if I even make any transactions in cash anymore. Um, so I'm, I'm using my my bank card to make uh, contactless payments. And I'm also using a Google Pay on my phone, with yes. both of which run across, I think, the Visa network. Yes. So in the case of Bristol Pay, uh, how how will that look? Is it is it also going to be a phone app and a card? And uh, and 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 you say it doesn't run on the Visa network or the Mastercard exactly. network. So it, I mean, it will be it'll be a slowish rollout in that yes, people will need to apply for a Bristol Pay account. Uh, initially, it'll probably just be a phone app, but later on there will be um, a card as well. And using that, you will be able to go into stores that have you know, hooked up to the Bristol Pay system. And initially, it'll be through a dedicated point of sale system that will be attached to their, their till that will work using QR codes, probably, to um, to do the phone payments or uh, NFC to do card payments. Uh, in the longer run, when we're trying to get the bigger stores on, on board, um, it is more likely that that's, um, so the existing card terminals that go on the, the Visa MasterCard rails, most of those boxes have, have a lot of um, redundancy in them um, and the potential that they can recognise other systems like Nectar cards or whatever else it might be and do different things with those other cards. So we can um, um, do upgrade work onto those boxes to integrate existing boxes um, into the new network, the, the EMI network that we're setting up instead of. Okay, the- so right, so if I'm a small business and I've 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 bought a, an iZettle um, terminal because I'm you know I'm, I'm making sales to my clients and I I forget how much that cost, but it, I think it was used to be eighty or hundred pounds. Yeah. Uh, doesn't so I wouldn't necessarily have to buy another terminal to to, to handle Bristol Pay. We, would, we have um, we've been working this out with our our sort of partners, technical partners, Pagey. And they have said that, um, you know, they reckon they can give those away for free to participating stores, um, you know, at least in the initial two or three years. You know, that is the plan, that these will just be um, given away for free uh, to ensure that we build the network of transactions as quickly as possible. It's through transactions that, in effect, um, you know, the, the money is is made um, by charging a similar fee to iZettle, but not having the same costs through the Visa and MasterCard rails, um, we can afford to give people the the, the um, card and phone reader point of sale terminals rather than having to make people buy them. And what do you think the overall change would be in, in terms of overall payment processing costs for, for payments on your network as opposed to you know, traditionally going through Visa and MasterCard networks? So, so as I say, we, we have decided to charge at market rates so at the standard kind of iZettle which is probably the, the brand leader at the moment um, to, to match those rates but in fact the actual cost once you've got the account set up and you know the infrastructure the app and everything built in fact payments between um, between different accounts on the AMI system don't go external at all so there are no third-party fees for that it, it's purely um, you know, a, a, an interaction within one system w- with no additional cost. Okay. And how do you deal with things? You mentioned earlier that Visa and MasterCard charge relatively high interchange fees because they have to handle things like, you know, refund rights and, and they, you know, f- they, ha- they have to build in a certain margin to handle f- cases of fraud. 
how would you uh, how would your system cope with it would be things much like, more like users demanding refunds it'd be much more like um as it is when you pay with cash where you know if you've paid cash for something and it is broken you go back to the retailer and you say i bought this thing it was broken and they say okay we'll give you a refund so there's no intermediary uh, activity as a payment processor uh, in the EMI scheme. and But equally, that there's also very little chance of fraud um, because it is a closed network and you know, very small in scale. Um, yeah. So it, it, it's, a, it's a very different proposition. Those costs are much lower. Um, so as I say, though, that, you know, the payment side is, is one part of it. The other part of it is what else could we do to try and have these broader social and environmental impacts. And that's where we want to use tokens. Now, I know tokens you know, can, can mean anything from cryptocurrencies to a thing that you put in your trolley at the supermarket. You know, it's, it's, it's a word which me is so open. It's very hard to pin down what we're talking about. So I'll just give a couple of examples of different token schemes that we might have on Bristol Pay. And these are all you know, very much in early stages of development. To give you an idea of timescales, you know, Bristol Pay won't even be launched until you know, late spring, I would imagine, at the earliest. And you know, the take up will be slow, but we're hoping that um, at least one or two token schemes will be part of that initial um, go live offer. So one of them would be probably your your listeners may have heard of LETS, you know, local exchange trading systems and, and other sort of local currencies that are not backed by sterling. These are just um, local currencies that encourage community connectivity uh, and um, sharing of skills and resources on a on a non-financial transaction basis so it's just like the whole the whole coin uh, system um, no the whole coin is much more about uh, giving someone a a coin for doing some volunteering which then gives them a discount at a local store no let's okay. is much more like um uh you give me a ring and you say hey diana um i've got to put up some shelves um I, it's difficult by myself can can you come along and help me for a couple of hours and i say sure and then, you know, a, a few days later, um, I say to a neighbour down the road, oh, I, I've got to weed my my gardener. I have no idea what's a weed and what's a plant. Can, can you come and help me do that? And, and they say yes. And then they go on to a friend of theirs and they say, I've got to, I don't know, do a big DIY job and I don't have any power tools. Have you got any I can borrow uh, so that I don't have to go and pay for a load of tools in a shop which get used once and then live in my attic, you know, generally degrading. Um, okay. So it's it's a way of communities trying to meet their needs without spending so much money and without creating so much waste because each time we buy a tool, a piece of clothing that we, you know, use once or wear once and then yeah. either chuck away or whatever, you know, the embodied carbon in each of those products that we buy and toss away or store in the attic, you know, uh, and never use again, the embodied carbon impact is huge. And if we're going to really solve, um, you know, zero carbon, we have to think about they're called scope three emissions, you know, the emissions embodied in everything we buy, uh, as well as just thinking about jumping in the car or um, you know how high we have the thermostat. So. Um, 
Yeah, the idea is then that that one of these tokens, and it might be called favours or it might be called thanks, I, I don't know, we haven't, haven't quite decided yet, but that those um, tokens would basically, you know, people just use them as they as they like, and it starts to celebrate and make visible that caring, sharing economy that goes on outside the financial market economy. I think we ignore that sort of community economy at our peril. I, 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 so I, another question for you. Yeah, yeah. So how do, how do, how does a user of Bristol Pay uh, generate the tokens? So those um, those tokens in that in that particular scheme, we would probably give everyone that gets a Bristol Pay account an initial balance okay. of ten tokens, and then we yeah. will look to see how they circulate. I mean, I, this is largely experimental, right? You know, um, the the aim is to to look at it and see what happens and see if we can celebrate, encourage and measure the the kinds of interactions that, that are going on in some way to make them. And presumably the data that the data that you then gen, would generate by tracking, you know, how the tokens move and where they move is the kind of data that um, that all the big tech firms are wanting to grab now from monitoring our financial I, activity. I am extremely anxious about the data economy, about how our personal data is bought and sold by big players, often of who we've never heard of, you know. Um, and we, you know, the idea that GDPR protects us, um, you know, frankly, it doesn't, because I can only go and do a, a data subject access request if I know that my data is held by Axiom, that is a company that until recently I had not even heard of, but it turns out they, they own data on nearly all of us and they're selling it to anyone who cares to buy it. Um, yeah. So I, I really want to move away from a data model that is, um, you know, creating economic um, benefit from the sale of personal data. You know, I really think this is a bad thing. Uh, I think it it not only is leading to, um, you know, it, targeted advertising that makes us all buy things, you know, which, and, and as I've already said, buying lots of things might be good for GDP, but it's very bad for the environment on the whole. Uh, but also, I think it's in danger. It, it's helping to create this kind of polarised echo chamber society where we increasingly understand less and less about other points of view and, uh, and we all feel rather self-righteous and as though we're right. Um, you know, it's, it's really, you know, the Cambridge Analytica thing. You know, this has been shown to be really very dangerous in terms of the fabric of our society. So, so you think that by, by, by bringing, um, you know, management and sort of control of this data back to the local level, we can actually yeah. and the you know, get past some of these problems? This, this data won't be used, you know, as personal data. It will only be used to say, hmm, Roughly, what value is the uh, is, for example, the non-market economy in in Bristol, or um, how many businesses? So I was going to come on to another token scheme. So another token scheme we've got an idea of works much more like badges, and I think many of our token schemes will be much more like badges. They're not something that you earn and then pay on, you know, like a you know, as we traditionally think of a currency passing from person to person, but rather a badge. Um, a bit more like I don't know your brownie badges. You know I can do. I was this. thinking of scout badges. <laughs> oh, exactly. Well, I'm a girl, and you're a boy. Well, I never was a brownie. <laughs> but um, so, th for example, um, I've been developing with University of Bath a um, a questionnaire, which um, which will help to uncover um, 
business values around society and environment um, that, that tries to uncover, for example, are they paying the real living wage? Do they think about transparency in their supply chain in terms of both fair trade or um, and uh, you know, looking at avoiding modern day slavery? Um, and uh, are they thinking about the provenance of the materials they're using? You know, have they involved deforestation? Have they ensured that people the other side of the world are being paid a, a fair living wage for the work that they're doing? You know, these sorts of ideas that yeah, some businesses vaguely think about, but many are uh, just saying, well, I'm buying this because it's cheapest and that's how I can keep my product cost low and sell lots. You know, So we're trying to, to get at the root of how many businesses are thinking in certain ways, both measure and count that uh, X percent of businesses uh, on the Bristol Pay system are, you know, paying real living wage or, or you know, ha have systems in place to ensure transparency in the supply chain. Um, and uh, and then you can kind of measure that change over time. Um, and meanwhile, those badges are a way that those businesses can say, hey, look at me, I'm great with my corporate social responsibility. Um, and that helps with their marketing. But it also helps me as a consumer because I could on the Bristol Pay platform say, I only want businesses that have got, you know, level eight on this badge um, around caring for their employees. And, and that then helps me spend my money in line with my values and puts a pressure on businesses to, to oh, OK, we're, we're kind of behind the times here. You know, other businesses are thinking about this stuff more. So I, the this aim, is kind of, you know, I guess uh, a term for this would be reputation money. It's money that or yeah. the token is a form of yeah. money. It's, it's a, it carries the, the reputation of the person. Exactly. providing services or goods or whatever. And yeah. I think a lot of people worry, you know, as soon as you say social reputation currency, they go, oh, China, big brother. You know. But what they forget is that actually, you know, most people are opting into social reputation currencies on a daily basis. People care about how many likes they've got on Facebook. People care about their Uber score um, because they want to make sure that someone's going to pick them up at midnight in the, from the town centre. Um, you know, people care about their eBay score because they're not going to sell anything um, if their eBay score is down below 98%. You know, people start to think they're a bit dodgy. Um, yeah, so reputation matters within our normal everyday you know, economy. And we just want to find ways of building on that to make it both fun but also visible so that we can celebrate and measure shifts in the right direction in our economy. Because at the moment, you know, there is no triple bottom line that is used everywhere across the, the country. You know, people are still very focused on GDP as the only measure that means anything, and therefore the financial, you know, the turnover of, of companies and the profitability, you know, those are the only things that, that matter. To, to most people looking at the economy, but to me that's so Danny, not you, see, you see that you see the uh, you see community money as being in future complementary to things like national currencies, um, company issued money, perhaps in the form of I don't know t t tokens that give rights to certain products or services, and also things like you know Bitcoin or money's based on cryptography. You see community money as a kind of an addition to these other things or Absolutely. They're, not, they're, not, necessarily, not necessarily competition, but they could just exist in parallel. Absolutely. That, you know, there's a rainbow of, of you know, thanks to technology you know, recently um, and blockchain in particular, perhaps, uh, but as well, regulatory systems that have come into place over the last few years. You know, there is now, as you say, a range of money. And um, what I want to do 
is try and encourage some forms of money that that correct some of the things that the market economy fails to to address. So you know the market economy, you know the, the current economic system, if you like, it is viewed as its own little thing. And then things like you know the real living world out there, you know the environment, uh, the well-being of people, these are kind of externalities. They only have value within the economic system when they've gone wrong. You know, when the tree has been cut down, when the people are ill and need um, medical services or, you know, it's 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 it should be the other way around. It should be that we have a way of valuing regeneration and um, you know, the wealth of the, that, that is the natural living world out there, which at the end of the day, that's the only thing which pr- creates the resources that we then use to create the market economy. You know, um, again. So, people, so getting getting the design of money right can help us all build a more sustainable economy. That, that's my hope. Yes, that that we can yeah. start to create um, a a a accounting system, if you like, not an accounting system, but a system of counting and measuring uh, and celebrating um, different sorts of of value within the community and within the economy. Um, And and Dana, what um, level of interest have you had both locally in Bristol uh, and nationally or internationally in the work you're doing? There's a lot of interest. I mean, every week, I would say I get on average, um, three emails from places all around the world saying, you know, we're really interested in what you're doing. Please, can you talk to us? And I spend quite a lot of my time doing Zoom calls with people all around the world um, talking about this stuff. Uh, And within Bristol, you know, I've had interesting chats with the mayor and the deputy mayors, with, you know, people generally within the council, with people at the university, you know, um, uh, both universities, in fact, University of Bristol and University of the West of England. I'm working with with academics within that um, and at University of Bath as well. So, you know, I would say uh, I'm also working with, for example, um, Bristol Water, looking at could we develop a token scheme that would uh, encourage people to use less water? And, you know, perhaps the reason they might do that is because these tokens would help fund a local youth club or something. It's it's finding ways of encouraging behaviours and increasing knowledge about behaviours in ways that mean something to real people. Um, so it's really exciting work. There's a lot to be done. It's not going to be overnight. That uh, there's a lot of research and planning to be done. Yeah, it sounds like we're just at the beginning of some you know some very interesting uh, and far-reaching you know changes in this area. So thank you very much for taking the time to. To talk to us. I'm sorry we don't have uh, more time, but it's. It, I, I must say that the when I wrote an article about local currencies last summer, uh, I found it one of the most interesting topics I've I've covered for New Money Reviews. So I'm you know I'm very interested to follow what you're doing and uh, look forward to staying in touch. Well, thank you very much for having invited me on, Paul. It's been great. Thank you for listening to this episode of the New Money Review podcast, The Future of Money in 30 Minutes. You can find a write-up of this episode at our website, newmoneyreview.com, together with links to any important documents or sites mentioned during the discussion. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like it, share it, or tell a friend about it. At our website, newmoneyreview.com, you can also sign up to our newsletter, 
which will keep you informed of all New Money Review articles and podcasts. If you'd like to support New Money Review, you can do so via Patreon or using cryptocurrency. Details of how to do this are on the homepage of our website.